Over the past month, we've been looking at this series called Unhooked. And what we've been looking at is the different lures that Satan used in the Bible to get people to fall into sin, to, to lure them, entice them uh, to sin and fall into temptation. And what we've seen is that the devil doesn't just, didn't just use them then, he uses them still today in the 21st century to hook you and me, to lure us into temptation. But what we've also seen in this series is that, that God is passionate for you and me, that he loves us and he's passionate enough to come after us and unhook us. And he did that by sending Jesus. And so after five weeks of looking at these lures, a question starts rolling around in our mind uh, that says this. If God is so passionate for you and me that he's going to unhook us when we fall into sin, why stop sinning? Why not jump on the hook of temptation, go for a wild ride, have the pleasure that comes with it, and then just turn to Jesus later and he unhooks us? Why stop sinning if Jesus has forgiven us? Why try so hard? And to be honest, it's a good question. It's what we're going to talk about today is that very question. And to do so, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 3. Because this is a question that the Christians in 90 AD struggled with. It's not a new problem. It's, it's been around since the first century, this question. By 90 AD, John was the only apostle left. All the other apostles had, had died. And so John writes this letter to the Christian churches in what's modern-day Turkey. Then it was known as Asia Minor. But he writes to these Christians to take on this question, this mindset. Why not just sin if Jesus has forgiven us? And he wrote it to many churches, and the idea was that this letter would be shared around and, and given to each congregation to read so that they took on, those pastors could take on this very question. Why not sin since Jesus has forgiven us? And in 1 John chapter 3, he gives us a couple reasons as to why. And so we're going to jump right in. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 5 through 8 this morning. We begin with verse 5. But you know that he, that is Jesus, you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Jesus appeared, why? Not to encourage sin. Not to say sin's no big deal. He didn't appear to die for our sins and say, well, hey, I've won your forgiveness, go ahead and live however you want. No, Jesus came to take away sin. That's why he appeared. He came to this earth, he appeared for one reason, and that was to take away sin. Because God and sin have nothing in common. In fact, they're enemies. They are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum, and they are enemies. And anyone who sins is God's enemy. And so Jesus appeared to take away our sins, so that we are no longer enemies with God. This is his whole purpose in appearing. And this gift, what Jesus did for us, is completely free. The message that Jesus of forgiveness, that Jesus lived, died, and rose for us, it's free for us. That gift 
is ours at no cost to us. But just because forgiveness is free, it doesn't mean it's cheap. And that's really the first reason that I want you to take home today. Why swim away from the lure? Why stop sinning? Because forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. At first it seems almost contradictory, doesn't it? How can something be free but not cheap? But parents, you know exactly what this is like. Kids, you do too, you just don't realize it yet. And so let me ask you kids, are you listening? How much money do you pay to live at your house? How much do you pay in rent? How much do you pay for groceries? My guess, nothing. It's completely free for you to live at home. But it's not cheap. After uh, the service here, ask your parents how much they spend on groceries for you for the week. Go ahead and ask them. It's free for you, but it's not cheap. Your parents pay for everything for you. They pay for your clothes. They pay for your sports activities. They pay for your groceries. They pay so you can live there. It's free for you, but it's not cheap. Your parents are paying all the bills for you. This is like God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is free. Jesus appeared to take away your sin, and it's free for you, but it costs God a lot. It cost him his son, Jesus. And Jesus appeared to take away your sin. And it cost Jesus a lot. Not financially, but it cost him his life. Jesus took our place. He became our sin, and it cost him his life. He took the punishment we deserved. And in return, you and I get forgiveness. Our sins have been taken away. We are forgiven, and it's a completely free gift to you and me, but it cost Jesus a lot. It wasn't cheap. He appeared to take away sin. And forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. And so, of course, we want to swim away. Of course, we, want, we don't want to give in to temptation because we want to thank Him. We want to thank Him for everything that He's done because we know it wasn't cheap. It cost Him everything. John says He appeared to take away sin. And in Him, there is no sin. And so guess what that means? There's no sin in Him. And anyone who's on his side doesn't sin. That's what John continues to say uh, in verses 6 through 8. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who, is, who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Reason number two we want to swim away from the lures and, and not continue to sin is because John is blunt. The one who continues to sin is from the devil. 
John says nobody who knows Jesus, who's come to experience Jesus, his love, his forgiveness, his grace, nobody who knows Jesus continues to sin. Now, I should say, John isn't saying that at one point in our life we can get to a point where uh, we're not sinning, where we're perfect, where we're morally free of sin. Uh, and we know that because of context. If we look at 1 John chapter 1, John says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So John isn't saying that we can become perfect. What John is saying is those who purposely keep on sinning. Nobody who, who has come to know and experience the love of Jesus, nobody who, who knows and experiences the grace of God and the forgiveness and what he's done for us, nobody who's uh, come to know that continues to keep on sinning. Instead, people who know Jesus' love confess their sins, turn to him, and swim away and fight and struggle against temptation. Why is John writing this? Why does this have to be said? Well, in the first century, there was this philosophy, this belief known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a belief that the body didn't matter. All that mattered was that your heart and your soul were pure. Because the body, they believed, was pure evil. It was evil, it was bad, it was just a temporary tent for your soul and your heart. So go ahead and sin outwardly all you want, as long as your heart and your soul were pure. In other words, go out and sin all you want, do whatever you want, as long as you believe that Jesus is your Savior, you can do whatever you want with your body, because it's pure evil anyways. John says, do not be led astray. The one who continues to sin is from the devil. If you want a good reason to try to fight temptation, if you want a good reason to not just jump on the hook and sin, it's because John is very clear. The one who continues to do that is from the devil. John says, do not be led astray. The one who has that mindset is spiritually dead. They don't know Jesus. Do not be led astray and jump on the hooks. Don't. I'm not sure how many of you remember uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't even know if SpongeBob is on TV anymore. I know he's on Netflix, but for those who, who might not know who SpongeBob is, SpongeBob uh, is a cartoon uh, and he's a sponge named SpongeBob who lives in a pineapple under the sea. And he's got a friend named Patrick, who's a starfish. And there's this episode where SpongeBob and Patrick, they're, they're walking along the bottom of the sea, and they come up to all of these hooks. Fishermen are fishing, and the hooks are down at the bottom, and they bump into them. And, and to SpongeBob's horror, Patrick jumps up onto a hook and sits on it. And SpongeBob cries out, Patrick! Mr. Crab say, says that uh, hooks are dangerous. And Patrick says, they don't seem so dangerous. They don't hurt. And how can something so dangerous have delicious cheese on the end of them? And he takes another hook and he uh, puts the hook in his mouth and eats the cheese and says, mmm, cheesy. And he leads 
SpongeBob to get on the hook. Or at least he's enticing SpongeBob to get on the hook. That's the mindset of someone who believes Gnosticism. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not dangerous because the body is evil anyways. So go ahead and jump on the hook. Enjoy the wild ride. Enjoy the pleasures that come with it. And it's no big deal. It's not dangerous. As long as in your heart you believe that Jesus is your Savior, you're fine. And John says, nonsense. No. Jesus didn't die just for your soul. He died for your body as well. Your body is part of who you are. Are. He, he is, your whole being is important. Your whole being is important. Not just soul, but body and soul together. Do not be led astray. The one who continues to sin is from the devil. Unfortunately, Gnosticism isn't just something that was in the first century. It's alive and well today. And a lot of Christians struggle with believing Gnosticism, and I'm guessing you're one of them. Why would I say that? Because I am. Think of how enticing that thought process is. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. All that matters is that I believe in Jesus. My heart and soul are pure. That's all that matters. Think of how enticing that is. Because if that's the case then I don't have to struggle. If that's the case, I don't have to struggle for sobriety. I don't have to struggle for chastity. I don't have to struggle to be gentle. I don't have to struggle to be self-controlled. I don't have to struggle with what words come out of my mouth. I don't have to struggle with love. I don't have to struggle to be peaceful. I don't have to struggle to be kind and joyful. The struggle's off. I can lose it on the person who's driving next to me uh, that I think is driving crazy. I can lose it on my spouse. I can do whatever I want with my body because as long as I believe that Jesus is my Savior, it doesn't matter. It's alive and well because it is so enticing. And if that's the case, we can live however we want and say, well, I believe in Jesus as my Savior, so everything is okay. John says, nonsense. He says, if that's the way you're living, if you continue to sin like that, you're from the devil. And now we're starting to get a little uncomfortable here (laughs) because there are areas in our life where we've become comfortable with sin. There's areas that we're not changing and maybe we're refusing to change because, well, Jesus has saved me anyway, so no big deal. I'm going to jump on the hook just like Patrick and he saved me. I don't have to worry about changing. I don't have to fight. I don't have to struggle. And there are areas in your life that you're doing that. And we're getting uncomfortable. And what's even more uncomfortable is we can't get that line from John out of our head that says anyone who keeps on sinning. And so we, we may try, we may try to change, and, and maybe we do, 
but even our hearts and our minds aren't pure. They keep on sinning too. And just think, just think of everything you've thought about this week. Maybe just this morning. Think of the greed, the discontentment. Think of the lust for people and things that aren't yours. Think of the angry attitudes and, and, and the hurtful thoughts you've heard, had about other people. Our hearts and minds aren't pure, let alone our bodies. And now we're starting to get uncomfortable because we keep on sinning. And John says the one who keeps on sinning is from the devil, and yet we can't stop. It's hopeless. And we despair. How could we ever stop? How can we ever change? How can we ever do this? And that's where John brings in the shining brightness of the gospel. The last sentence in verse 8 is the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You see, this is the wonder and amazement of Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, and he sees the elderly, he sees parents, he sees children waving palm branches, praising God, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna, save us, son of David. Our king is here. Save us. And as Jesus rode on that donkey, I wonder if he thought to himself, I'm going to. I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring peace in heaven. But it's not what you're thinking. I'm not here to defeat the Romans. I'm not here to uh, usurp the throne. I'm not here to set up an earthly kingdom. I'm here to save you. But in order to do that, I need to destroy the devil's work. And in order to do that, I must be destroyed. You see, Jesus rode into Jerusalem knowing full well what was going to happen later that week. He rode in as a conquering king and he was going to conquer the devil and destroy his work. And that would mean he would have to die. And he didn't run. He didn't say, you know what, no thanks. He went in full steam ahead. And do you know what's even more incredible? As God, he knew everything. As God, he does know everything. And so he knew as he was riding into Jerusalem, he knew that you and I would be in the 21st century. And he knew we'd be sitting here trying to justify our sin. He knew we'd be sitting here trying to cheapen his grace by saying, well, no big deal. Jesus forgives us. Let's go ahead and sin. He knew how we would keep on sinning, and yet he went ahead with it anyways. That's how much he loves you. And then he shows the full extent of his love. As he rides in, and over the course of the week, what happens? Jesus became your sin. Jesus took responsibility for every single one 
of your sins, of your transgressions, of your mistakes. He took, them all, he took all of them and he went to the cross and took the punishment that we deserved. And the punishment was destruction. But as he was crucified, he completely destroyed all of the work of the devil. He no longer has control over you because of Jesus. He no longer has a mountain of evidence against you to say why you are guilty. Jesus destroyed all that. He no longer can shame you. He no longer has any control over you whatsoever because Jesus has completely destroyed him. And it was at the cross where Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled, where God promised that someone was coming to crush the serpent, the devil's head. And that's exactly what took place at the cross. There at the cross of Christ, he took away all of your sin. The one who has no sin became your sin, and he completely destroyed the work of the devil, so you are free, unhooked, forever. He did all this for you. How in the world could we ever repay him? How in the world could we ever thank him? As we said earlier, this is a free gift from Jesus. Forgiveness is free. But how could we ever show our appreciation? Swim away from the lures. Fight temptation. Pick up the cross and follow him. And change and swim away from the lures. Why? It's your last point today. Because Jesus' forgiveness and his love is far better than any lure that Satan could offer you. Satan is going to continue to tempt you. He's still around and he still throws out his lures to try to get you to fall into sin. To catch you and hook you and drag you to hell. But Jesus has destroyed him. He doesn't control you. And now we can swim away from Satan's lures. We can run. And how do we do it? We magnify Jesus' love and forgiveness for us. As Satan throws out those lures, we remember daily what Jesus went through for, to forgive us. We, we, we remember daily and we magnify how much love he has for us that on Palm Sunday he rode in knowing full well what he was getting into. We remember that through Jesus' shed blood we are forgiven, free, heaven is ours. We are off the hook. And when we magnify that, the lure doesn't seem as enticing. Then we can recognize the lure for what it is. It's just a lure, but there's a hook, a deadly hook, waiting for us. When we magnify the love of Jesus, that he would come and destroy the devil's work for us, we want to swim away from the lures and into the loving arms of our Savior God. May God be with you this week and always, that that he may send his Holy Spirit into your hearts so that you can, uh, that he magnifies the love that Jesus has for you, that he strengthens your faith in Jesus and he gives you the will to swim from the lures and into the loving arms of your Savior because you've come to know him. You've come to experience his love, his grace, his mercy 
and it is there for you, and it is free for you. Magnify that, and you will swim away from the lures. Amen. We'll join in uh, prayers, and then we'll close with the Lord's, uh, Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, what an unbelievable gift you have given us that you would come and that you would take away our sin completely free of charge to us. What an amazing cost uh, you paid to pay the price for our sin. You gave up your own life. You were destroyed. You suffered hell uh, all for us. You took our punishment for us. As we live this life and as Satan continues to throw out his lures, help us to magnify your love in our life, your grace, your mercy. And as that gets magnified, we'll want to turn from our sin. Help us never to cheapen your grace. Help us to never jump on the hooks on purpose, uh, thinking that you will forgive us and, and resting on that. Instead, help us help your grace and your mercy and your love change us so that we may swim away from the lures. We ask you to be with everyone who's affected by the coronavirus right now. We ask you to be with our leaders. Guide them, lead them, uh, let them find a cure. We ask you to be with all those affected. Uh, heal them, give them strength. Be with the doctors and the nurses. Keep them healthy and watch over them as well. We ask you to be with our country. Let us be united uh, together in love for one another. We ask all this in Jesus' name. It's in his name that we join to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. In Numbers chapter 6, God instructed Aaron the high priest that as the, the Israelites were leaving the temple, he was to raise his hand and bless the people with the Lord's name so that they knew that they were going out with the Lord uh, and he was going out with them. We're going to end our service the same way today so you know that the Lord is going with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. We'll join in our closing song, All Glory, Loud, and Honor. The Lord bless your week.